Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Let's act like we're teenagers and take the long way home. Where a sunflower moon was in full bloom and tangled in my hair like cobwebs. Where the crooning of yellow-eyed currawongs curled the sun into a sky of red light bulbs like the ones at the club on the corner of Gertrude and Brunswick Street. Where we, marmalade-voiced and shrieking, called honey streams of summer afternoons through curtains into cannabis-cradled rooms of phoebic splendor. Where the blue of his eyes ran ink stains into my pillowcases when he left for his home across bluer waters. Where the houses smelled like springtime after birthdays and romantic gestures. Where I slung words into a wattle-colored sketchbook like Pollock's spirit had possessed my pen. Where traffic cones gifted us tartan warmth under eggplant winter skies. Where the star flowers of Billie Holiday's voice dripped from the lips of a girl with Waratah hair. Where the soft thumping of plums rolling under kitchen benches echoed contented whispers of laughter. Where I wanted to remember forever the way the blinds in his window pinstriped his skin against the night. How his brow met my fingertips like communion. Where midnight lovers curled their velvet smiles around mine. Where jazz cigarettes were smoked in sharehouse sheds to battle the winter blues. Where blue-tacked gum leaves swirled up bedroom walls and swung from chandeliers older than the bed's occupants. Where beer foam painted the sides of poets' pint glasses. Where a copper-colored kitchen crowded rowdy partygoers into itself with all the love that had been cooked into its walls and communal meals. Where I buried a piece of my heart under every river gum that ever kept a kookaburra laughing. Where modern-day ruby slippers did nothing. Since I was already home. Good morning and welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we pay our respects to elders, past, present and into the future. The poem we just heard was by Texan-born Afro-Latina artist Ariel Cottingham. She's a recent winner of the Australian Poetry Slam Championship and author of two books, her latest published by Pitt Street Poetry. She's toured through the US, Southeast Asia and Australia and is currently residing in Tasmania. Ariel will be featuring in a number of events at this year's Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival and I caught up with her on the phone a short time ago. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I've just been uh, playing a uh, poem of yours, Under Seven Sisters. Aha! <laughs> which was recorded amongst the, the trees and the nature. Uh, yeah. Is that what it's like down in Tasmania? Very much so. <laughs> I wrote that out in, um, I was in rural New South Wales at a place, at an artist retreat called Bundan on Trust. It's a bit like that down in Tassie. Much colder, but <laughs> very, very similar. Pretty close to bush, even in Hobart. I really love it down here. Um, it is very cold. That's been a <laughs> pretty massive adjustment from Texas. Do you think it's changed your the way you write? Uh, yes. I think I'm starting to move into very soft, very lovey-dovey type poetry that usually makes me gag a little when I <laughs> perform it on stage. Um, but it's what keeps coming out, so <laughs> might as well follow it till 
whatever news sends me ideas, decide, changes their mind. And you're coming to Melbourne soon. I am. Uh, I'm going to be performing for opening night at the Melbourne Spoken Word Poetry Festival um, and a few other things. I'll be running a workshop as well. I'm really, really excited. Um, it's been a while since I've done like a full set of poetry in Melbourne. Uh, I think the last time I did, it was for Sapology that mm -hmm. Juanie Lafreyre ran at Howler. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be great. I'm really excited to come back to Melbourne. That's kind of like ground zero for my poetry career. <laughs> yeah, that was something that you uh, touched on in the in the poem that we played before. Is that you seem to have forged a lot of lasting friendships in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I'm so completely grateful to MSW for creating the community that they have. Um, like I'm still in touch with. Sam Ferrante and Shrika Tartusi, who I would not have met <laughs> if not for uh, MSW getting the word out about all of the poetry events happening in Melbourne. Um, Do you think that's one of the great strengths of, of poetry, is that it can bring people together like that? Yeah, I do. I do think so. Um, and I think poetry circles, I mean, no sort of like social group is ever going to be perfect, obviously. Um, but I do think that poetry circles tend to attract quite um, sensitive souls. <laughs> um, and when you see the same people over and over again, multiple times a week at the same gigs where everyone's getting up and sharing their feelings and being vulnerable and sharing their, their like art that they don't really show outside of poetry communities, like it definitely fosters a stronger sense of intimacy than, <laughs> I don't know, other types of communities. Maybe I'm just biased. You're, you're also a dancer. I am. When I was in uni, I was a hotshot young swing dancer and I uh, went to New Orleans a couple of times to compete. Uh, and that was pretty incredible because it was very age diverse because mm -hmm. there were like real young ones like me because I was, I think, like 18 or 19 when I was doing that. And I think one of my favorite dance partners was an older gentleman in his 70s. Wow. <laughs> Um, and it was really nice because it was all very, like, people were all there because they loved the style of music and they loved the style of dance and everyone could do it well. Um, and it wasn't about, like, trying to, like, find a hookup or whatever. It was like, hey, this thing we all love together, let's all do this thing we love. <laughs> yeah, so is that similar to poetry, do you think? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, like, especially in Melbourne when I was living there, like, it was quite age-diverse, um, I mean, like, Kamenov would show up to, uh, like, <laughs> open mics where there were teenagers, and, you know, like, Morris um, McNamara would show up, to, like, it was, it was really cool, um, it was just really cool to see so many different people of different ages and different backgrounds all showing up and appreciating each other's work. I guess other, other types of things are more competitive between people. Would you say, yeah. would you say poetry is competitive? No, it can be. I mean, it very much depends on the community itself. Like, I know American Slam is highly competitive, um, and I think that's mostly because of the uh, money element. Because, um, like, national, the National Slam has, like, a $5,000 prize or something crazy like that, and 
like I think that competition is can be really really healthy for a community because uh, it pushes people to like strive to make the best work that they possibly can, and if they have other people around them pushing them to do better, they they will grow. But I also concede that like introducing competitive elements where like people need money to live, hey, we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna attach money to it. Suddenly, it becomes less about the craft and more about, hey, I need to do this for my career, for my family to pay my bills, and all of that sort of thing. Um, everything's less fun when it's official work. This is a criticism I've heard before of, of slam poetry, is that there tends to be a formula after a certain amount of time. Yes, yes. And I think, well, since slam originated in the 90s, it's had time to sort of ferment into a format that we see today. With some of the gigs that we're starting up down here in Tassie, like we're trying to combat that a little bit. So like uh, I'll be running a competition for Melbourne Spoken Word Poetry Festival called Right Here, Right Now. Uh, we've run it a couple of times down here in Hobart pretty successfully. Um, it's billed as an anti-slam. It's an anti-slam, yes. Uh, so basically, one of the main tenets of slam is that it's like for the audience, and that's a great thing, uh, and I really like the very uh, egalitarian idea of you don't need to know a lot about poetry to have an opinion on it. However, I think the poets who show up week after week and month after month and year after year might have a slightly better idea of what they want to see from their own community and like the kind of art that they want to reward out of their own community. So there's an audience favorite, there's a poet's favorite. It's very much in the spirit of like building up the poetry community because at slams that I've been to especially, I've seen like the best poet or the best poem doesn't always win the slam. And this sort of right idea with right here, right now is like, oh, maybe this is the way. <laughs> and it's not perfect, and there's still definitely a place for slam. Uh, this is just a new alternative to add to a poetry community. The hope is that if poets know that they have to compete with each other and they have to vote for each other, that they're going to bring the best they possibly can. Um, one of the other rules is completely new work, so if it's ever been performed to an audience ever before, it cannot be performed at right here, right now. So yeah, all brand new work. Um, poets are encouraged to bring their absolute best because they have to convince their competitors that their poem is the best one, <laughs> which hopefully will turn out a really great performance for the audience as well. And can you tell me a little bit about the Fresh Voices workshop? What's the aim of that? Ah, uh, so I, I've been doing a few, I've been doing workshops for the last few years, um, especially since winning the APS in 2016, um, and I've kind of slowly sort of mishmashed together the ideal workshop where we go through a couple of writing exercises, we talk through the, um, like the ethics of performance. Um, specifically how in SLAM especially there's a, a bit of a tendency to use trauma as art and while I think that trauma can be eased and soothed through art it's not really fair to use an audience as your own personal therapist especially without their, their consent so there's an element of writing and an element of performance and really getting into the mind of like alright how does this type of movement affect the meaning of my work to an external audience like, um, and sort of shifting focus away from the self towards an audience. Part of it will be working on physicality and 
looking at body language and how to, one, be aware of body language and movement and two, how to use it to create a greater impact with the performance as a whole because poetry is an amazing art form. Performance is another thing altogether. And when we bring them together, like your body is at the center of it all. When you're performing, do you find the microphone as a constraint or something that aids you? Um, I think one of my favorite performances that I ever did was at La Mama Poetica that Amanda Anastasi runs uh, in Melbourne because uh, it was in the round. There was no microphone. I was able to use a massive amount of space. You were lucky that night. You had a boxing ring. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was so lucky, um, and that was to this day like one of my favorite performances that I've ever done. Um, and it is hard to it is using a microphone can be a constraint, but I think also finding creativity within strictures forces you like to think harder about it. Um, and I think that using uh, like having that sort of like all right, so can't really move my feet all that much. Everything has to be upper body work. How do I still express uh, this, express what I need to express with some, with less of my body than I'm used to using? Um, and I think necessity is the mother of invention. How you move with a microphone or how you don't move with a microphone um, can lead to really incredible breakthroughs as far as performance is concerned. And is that something you think about consciously before you perform or does it just come naturally ideally i'd like to see the space that i'm working in and um whether or not there will be a need for a microphone if there isn't oh man game on like we're gonna move around we're gonna use a lot if there is a microphone um i like to respect the sound people because they make it sound good <laughs> i was also one for quite some time so like i understand that their job is difficult and i appreciate them um and I, I've been doing this long enough to where I can tailor my movements and still have a suggestion of the bigger movements that I would normally do in a much more contained space that still allows me to work with a microphone. You did one at the uh, the Owl and Cat where people had to read another person's poem, so you didn't have a lot of time to prepare, and you brought in uh, clapping and foot stomping into that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, completely spur of the moment um <laughs> i uh I, I just had a song stuck in my head that had that stomp clap stomp clap beat and i was like i want to use this and we'll just see how it goes <laughs> screw it <laughs> my, my partner gave me this uh biography of jeff buckley and a quote in it has stuck with me and just to paraphrase something along the lines of you're already ridiculous for being up on stage in front of a microphone so you might as well just go for it, go completely balls to the wall, part of the expression. Um, so, like, just go for it, take the risk, because you've already broken the barrier of, like, hey, I'm ridiculous for being, for drawing attention to myself at all. So, well, I'm here, might as well keep going. Do you believe in the, the adage that the audience doesn't know? So that if you make a mistake, nobody really knows that you did. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when I was performing uh, this poem of mine that I really love called Tramlines at the Opera House, I was so swept up in the moment that I messed up the very last line. And so I fixed it, 
and then went off stage and was just like, oh no, I messed up, blah, blah, blah. oh my god. <laughs> Um, and then I won, which is cool. But then I was talking to a friend of mine who I met uh, later, and he was saying that he really loved the way I did that little stutter at the end and changed it. And I was like, "Wait, what?" And I was like, "That was that was a mistake. Like, I, that wasn't on purpose." And he was like, "Oh, well, you should keep doing that because that was great." <laughs> um, and I've since incorporated it into how I perform it all the time. But yeah, like the audience has no idea if you've messed up. Just keep on trucking, and they'll probably just, if you, they did notice anything amiss, they'll probably just assume it was part of the performance. Um, and sometimes that even makes it better. <laughs> yeah, so would you say that it's a good thing to just completely inhabit the poem when you're performing? Yes. I had a theater teacher back in the day who, he had this really hilarious phrase that like drove us crazy, but if you took a second to think about it, actually made a lot of sense, uh, and it was, feel the feelings. <laughs> um, very simple, a bit, a bit trite, but at the end of the day, like, if you are, if you're feeling the feelings you felt when you wrote this down, the audience can pick up on that. Like, humans are, I think, naturally inclined towards empathy, and allowing yourself to feel things publicly invites other people to feel them as well. Does it affect you after performing night after night the same sorts of things and going through the feelings? What Does that have an effect on you? Yes, definitely. But I've sort of figured out some sort of self-care strategies that really help with that. Because um, I think for the Mother's Day program, you asked me about playing Irony, um, which is a really tough poem for me even to this day. Because uh, it deals with some really, really heavy subject matter. Um, and in crafting a set, I'll keep in mind the emotional toll that each poem will take. And if I'm like, okay, so this is going to finish early, people will probably want to hang out afterwards and talk and chat and have a couple of drinks or whatever. Um, maybe I shouldn't use this particular poem today because I won't be able to recover enough to like go out and have a good time afterwards. Um, so I don't really perform that one very often unless I know that I have time to like Oh, step back, collect myself, return back to the present moment. Is this something you touch on in your workshop? I can definitely incorporate it. Like, I haven't been able to run a full three-hour workshop with this setup that I'm doing. Um, the last time I ran it, we only had two hours, uh, and it went really, really well, but all of the feedback was, we needed another extra hour. So this uh, <laughs> three-hour Fresh Voices workshop is spot on. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have time to talk about decompressing. That is something I, I have noticed, you know, that some poets uh, get so swept up and probably they don't, they don't anticipate how much the audience gets into the poem and travels with them, that, yeah. that it ends up, you know, they walk off in tears and they're not quite prepared for that. Yeah, and I think that's part of why I think having a really strong community around you is so important. Um, because, like, when I would perform really tough poems like Tramlines or Irony in Melbourne, like, I always had, like, a pair of arms waiting to hug me as soon as I got off the stage um, without, a fa without fail. Um, and it's amazing to be quite literally held by a community like that. It was never the same person waiting to give me a hug, which is amazing. <laughs> I think we're running out of time. Well, I look forward to seeing you at MSWPS. We look forward to seeing you too. When do you land? 
Uh, haven't booked the t- haven't booked the flight yet, but I'll definitely <laughs> be there for opening night. <laughs> well, can you swim? Uh, yes, quite well actually. <laughs> well, there you go. If there's no flights, it's just a small ditch of water. Yeah, you know, it's like the English Channel. <laughs> a little rougher, a little bit. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for having me, Brendan. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Ariel Cottingham will be performing at the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival in July on opening night on July the 12th at the Toffin Town. The workshop is on the 13th of July, that's the Saturday, at the Fitzroy Library at 1pm. And the Right Here, Right Now Anti-Slam is on the same night at Horse Bazaar in the city. For all the details, head to www.mswpf.com.au. You're listening to Spoken Word on Community Radio 3CR, 855 AM. Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au/donate. Power Radical Radio. Yes, it's still the month of Radiothon at 3CR, so the number to call is 9419-8377. Any funds that you can contribute will help to keep this independent radio station on the air. Alternatively, you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word and follow the links where you can donate online very easily. And a big thank you to everyone who's donated so far. My next guest this morning is the incredibly busy artist Tariro Mavondo, She works extensively across poetry, theatre and dance, music, film and television. She's worked with the Melbourne and Sydney theatre companies, Bell Shakespeare, Black Swan Theatre, Red Stitch and so many more. And she's been the Australian Poetry Slam finalist and is the founding member of Stillwater's African Women's Storytelling Collective and Centre of Poetic Justice. I could go on and on, but welcome to the studio, Tarira. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you this morning? This morning I woke up with a very husky voice, so this is not my normal voice, um, but I'm kind of enjoying it. Um, it was beautiful actually driving to the radio station. Um, there was a rainbow, the clouds looked really soft and pastel coloured, so that kind of made me feel nice and warm. <laughs> and in the mood for a poem? In the mood for a love poem, which is quite fitting. Uh, this poem is called Love Without Border. It's very recent. Okay. You tell me that I am angel, but how can that be when it is you who has reached with big hands to unhang sky, unhinge moon, sun, stars, to put them in the canvas bag that is your lung? It is you who has unfolded, unfluffed, flapped out and laid these gifts as fruit in a basket at the blanket that are the bottoms of my feet. You uncalcify me. You uncalcify those parts of me that have taken up posture of stone. 
You do what other men cannot fathom to. You, with your otherworldly courage, you turn my veins into silk roads so that the rivers of divinity can flow more effortlessly to the golden of me. You see, you liquidate me. It is you who sees me fully. I know by the way you call me by my name, beautiful, and my nickname, Grace. With such simplicity and truth, it is made statement more so than question. I know by the way you speak to me in the language of honouring, without the want to own. You do not do as other men try to, keep my spirit underwater, afraid of its enormity. In fact, you hold me in the temple of your breath and offer to be the bearer of my flame. It is you whose eyes show me your title is beyond king. I see God in you. I see how souls cannot undress in front of one another, for they are already naked things. It is our humanness that tricks and masks and hides. Without a shadow of a doubt, I am certain my body had already been whispering your verse at the juncture where your body had been whispering mine. Way before mind knew of this dedication, in the act of this recitation, I knew that bodies were the real Bibles, living, breathing, moving scriptures. Your touch is part wing, part boulder, gentle, capable and purposeful, not burdensome and incumbent, more like water cleansing all of me. In need of washing over, it is you that is the most splendid rain. You moisten my garden back to umbrella green. With you I am fertile and freedom soil. My strengths have become the colours of maple leaves, caramelised brown and double glazed burnt orange. They stand strong in the wind, like autumn limbs or flagstaffs to my story. My skin sparkles in diamonds. I now know why sugar spoons can rest on teacups and pens can stretch themselves out on leather pouch of book with such content. For another's border can be the beginnings of another's home. I now know why they say a lover's kiss can stop a war. We came into one another's field at the point where we both needed healing as if there was someone or something above us that had been overseeing all of us all along after all. I must have been a good Samaritan in my past life or must be doing something right right now. It is you, my angel, who I am in awe of. How a giant soul can be bottled in one body though it is a magnificent one long and lean and Roman. It is you who has enabled me to replace disappointment with putting faith back into men again. Your name is on a boat on its way to the harbour of my heart. For now I will do as the tide, I will fall for you and then I will rise, but not just yet, for arms are only for waving at ships as they sail away from shores. Thank you. Thank you. Is it hard to write love poems? If there's a muse, if there's an inspiration, it's quite easy. <laughs> um, I'm finding it actually at the moment, I'm much more in that kind of um, love space. Yeah, in that soft, soft honey butter space at the moment. Is that because you're in love? I think I'm more in love with life. With like at the moment, clouds are just like tripping me out, like I'm just blissing out. Um, I'll like look up and then I'm just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I feel like I'm just, I think every cell at the moment for me feels really awakened to um, the possibility of each moment being a, po uh, a moment of lovemaking with 
with everything, really. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. The world is in so much turmoil at the moment. Mm. Are you finding solace, perhaps, in, in looking inwards? I, I strongly believe that that we need the fire, we need the rage, we need to feel it, we need to feel uncomfortable, we need to feel discomfort in order for us to want and desire change enough. So I feel like that is part of the process. I've been really thinking a lot about the idea of accepting, accepting the system, um, not agreeing with it, but accepting that this is what it is. And from that place, it feels like more manageable to tackle at it slowly in bite-sized pieces. Um, I guess it's the same idea as um, embracing the shadow and embracing darkness and accepting that it is part of us, yeah, in order to, to transform and change it. You do a lot of uh, workshops with young people. Mm -hmm. uh, writing workshops and movement workshops. Yeah. What are the sorts of things that young people are writing about? I really like to concentrate on writing for performance and sometimes um, with young people one of the exercises isn't even about like writing um, with pen and paper it's actually about um, visualizations on the floor and then moving those visualizations and um, and then just kind of speaking them out um, before the actual writing process um, yeah, they've been really interested actually in um, big themes like climate change. Um, they're really angry about um, the baby boomers, about um, the fact that they are not being cared for and looked after in the way that um, they believe they should be, that they're going to be left with this massive... Uh, issue and problem on their shoulders um, that other generations won't be having to deal with as much um, and so a lot of their content is about um, is about that about anger uh, and it's coming from a rage and an anger um, they're writing about class which I found very interesting about what it means to grow up in um, council flats in housing commission and that's not just um, newly arrived young peoples. This is also Anglo um, young artists that I work with. Um, like class has been like a, th a theme that's coming up, which I find very interesting. Do you feel like it's different from when you were growing up? I feel like young people have a lot more to say um, and a lot more options and varieties of how to say those things. When I was growing up in Frankston, in flats, I didn't have the faculty or the facility to to speak about that. Yeah, so that kind of um, inspires me and fuels me, seeing that they're grappling with these things and uh, to find how to express it and expressing it. Our young people are, yeah, facing the difficulty of not knowing what the future holds in an economic sense, but also, yeah, obviously in a in an environmental sense as well. They have so much more access to media now mm. through technology. Mm. Do you think that creates an anxiety as well? Absolutely it does. I can't imagine having grown up only 
in a technological um, digital world. Like um, I grew up still with, you know, um, telephones, <laughs> um, um, landlines and I can't, yeah, I can't imagine what that is and I, I definitely think that's an impact. There's information overload. Um, um, and also I think they're getting uh, news grabs and news feeds at such a rapid rate um, that I, yeah, I feel like it's intense to try and digest all that and somehow um, be free of anxiety and stress uh, when um, there's a lot to be anxious about. Do you feel like the, the art form of poetry is a stress relief? Absolutely. I feel like um, that's why um, in Melbourne and probably across the country, spoken word venues and events are growing exponentially. I feel like um, these sort of spaces, these alternative spaces are where young people and people, anyone can really just um, express all that chaos that we're experiencing. I feel um, these spaces are um, vital at the moment they're vital yeah to be able to to get it out do you have strategies for decompressing after an intense performance yeah um i feel like i've been actually performing in spaces that i usually don't uh, inhabit or uh, exist in just um which has been interesting i did a performance um last weekend where i um I found myself performing at a pop-up uh, art space in a bedroom um, and it was like an experimental um, kind of art night, um, art, yeah, art night. And um, actually after I performed, a lot of people came up to me very moved and very, very emotional. And um, yeah, uh, I think as artists we do find ourselves having to hold others also in that um and so the holding of others also is um i think part of the decompressing in a strange way um because you take it off yourself and then you then you hold um others and then um yeah i guess I find I always need to do some self-care rituals um, such as like taking a bath um, um, with candles and um, Epsom salts and um, drops of essential oils and listening to some music or um, yeah just going into a more neutral neutral space. I think it's really important for everyone to adopt uh, some kind of yeah, some kind of self-care ritual um, afterwards. You're hoping to go overseas Mm -hmm. soon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I applied for this uh, summer course in Barcelona. Actually, the title is um, Decolonising Dialogue in the Horizon. And yeah, I guess it's looking at the importance I think in the future and now uh, of building and creating spaces that are outside of very established uh, dominant structures and creating alternative structures where multiple narratives can be heard and valued more equitably and in a more much more just way um, and so that 
excites me a lot to kind of keep deepening my decolonial practice, which I think is really important. Decolonialism sounds like a, a huge task. Mm-hmm. But there are so many ways that you could be practicing it in your everyday life. Yeah. I think decolonization um, happens on multiple levels and I feel like the personal is one level. I feel like the community is another level. I feel like the nation state is another level. Yeah, and I think personally, I think it comes back to this idea that I've been kind of thinking about accepting the system and going, this is the system I'm born in. And to accept, you got to go, okay, um, at the moment it is predominantly... Um, a white supremacist system and so um, inherently I've got internal biases depend, um, no matter where I'm positioned within the system and how do I unpack all that um, and I find actually working with young people a lot of the white boys are kind of like looking at themselves going yeah I've never really had to think about my position in society before and I'm feeling uncomfortable and um, I've never had to kind of express what that is um, I feel attacked um, being a, a white male and I don't know why and kind of feeling like that is that is absolutely important to um, to unpack decolonization as a practice is messy in its nature because we are going to fail before I think it gets better I feel like um, we need to cro like walk through the fire so yeah it is it is it is a mammoth task and I think um, for me it's absolutely imperative um, in order to create uh, new futures and new ways of being um, and existing that are sustainable because I feel like we're kind of heading towards a very critical uh, critical state of being. Decolonization requires one to open, be open to deep listening to another perspective and another point of view and to also be open to dialogue and having the hard conversations and that can only really happening through the, that act of deep listening. How do you teach? How do you teach kids that? <laughs> um, it's really in subtle ways. Uh, for instance, um, uh, opening the space with an acknowledgement to country, and then asking them how they were connected to land this week. Um, and what what are some of the answers to that? At first, there's a little bit of resistance, actually. It's like, I didn't feel like I was con uh, connected to land, so then I have to probe and ask, kind of interrogate further and go, okay, did you walk to school today? Did you, um, did you walk your dog um, in the park? Did you um, see a tree? And then all this stuff comes up and they go, oh, yeah, I w connected to land on very real levels. Um every day <laughs> um, whether it's playing football or whether it's um, you're going for a walk and um, and just observing what kind of um, yeah trees are around um, yeah I think it's it's yeah it kind of requires um, a shift in in thinking and that goes back to the uh, the introspective poetry that we were talking about before. Yes. Is it that kind of, you know, attention to minute detail? Exactly. Opens yourself up. Yeah. 
I think poetry in its essence is decolonial because we give voice to objects from the point of view of those objects in relation to other objects. So there is some kind of going beyond beyond self and becoming part of a global body. I think that happens in the act of doing that. Um, so yeah, I always, for me, I think poetry and being poetic is for me, yeah, starting to unlock what a decolonization actually looks like. And I think poets are really, really good at that. Yeah. So how can people help you get to Barcelona? How can people help? Well, I have a possible campaign at the moment that is running. So I've managed to actually pay for uh, my tuition fees and for my accommodation. So I'm asking for uh, flights, return flights and living expenses there. And um, you can find it on my Facebook page. That's Tariro Mavondo, T-A-R-I-R-O-M-A-V-O-N-D-O. It is plastered all over my page. Um, and it's sort of scary asking people for money and having to kind of, I feel like for me the struggle has been like to really back myself up and go, yeah, I believe that I, I need to do this course. Um, I'm at a point now where I need to deepen and un, um, and understand um, decolonization even more so that I can embed it into my practice even more and um, that I can really um, get deeper and juicier into, yeah, facilitating in the kind of way that I want to now and in the future. So if you feel called and moved, um, yes, please, um, yeah, back me $10, $15, $20, any amount, it all helps. And you're performing in the Spoken Word Festival this year. That's right, as part of P-Word sessions. Can we expect new poetry? Oh, yes, most definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love poetry <laughs> in contra to the darkness that's going on globally i hope to um somehow um be a balm or soothe in some way and um and instill some of that hope i look forward to it <laughs> thank you for having me brandon thank you for coming along Tariro will be performing in the melbourne spoken word and poetry festival on the 21st of july at Motley Bauhaus in Fitzroy at 4pm. For details of the festival, visit mswpf.com.au. It runs from the 12th of July to the 28th of July and features over 50 events and workshops. This has been the Spoken Word Program on 3CR Community Radio. Tune in every week on Thursday at 9 o'clock on 8.55am, digital radio, or download our podcasts from 3cr.org.au. I am Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.